Good morning, Terra Nova Troy. Good to be here. Good to see you folks out on a snowy February morning. It was uh, it's fairly clear when we started the nine, but then the snow was starting to fall. Now we got a good amount, so we're glad you're here. We are continuing through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. We've been in in this uh, sermon series for a while, and we will continue to be so as we are about a little over halfway through the studying the the uh, life and ministry of our Lord and Savior. Uh, we uh, we had a good sermon uh, two weeks ago that uh, had a good sermon last week too, but. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tory preached uh, from in here in Matthew, and he asked a couple of good questions to start his message. Uh, those were questions that, that uh, got me thinking as he was speaking and certainly uh, throughout the week. And I thought that's a great way to start a sermon sometimes, is just to ask some questions. And I want to do that this morning as I was thinking about our text today. Uh, ask, I want to ask a question as we, as we start. Why are you here today? Again, it's, it's cold and snowy, good day to stay home. Or, or why are you watching us at home right now? Some of you that are, are tuning in on our, our uh, live feed. Why are you participating today? Lots of other ways to spend your time on, on a Sunday here in, in February. Uh, what do you hope to get out of today? What do you hope to get out of this? Uh, maybe it's to be encouraged. Maybe you're, 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 you came this morning to see other faces, at least with our masks on here, uh, just to see friends and church family. I know that's very important when we're able to do that. I know it's been a challenge this last uh, year almost now, but it's, it's good. It's a good reason to be here. How about to learn something new? Maybe you just want to dig into the Gospel of Matthew. It's been great to, to study more about our Savior and these, these key teachings to what it, that helps understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's to experience something. You want to come and be part of the worship, to sing, and just have your heart warmed through that. Uh, maybe you're here this morning because there's something in your life that you need to, to deal with. Maybe an area you need to address. You, you want to know if the Bible can help you with that hard issue that's going on right now. Uh, perhaps you're struggling through something you want to know if God really cares. Maybe you're here wondering, man, is, is this stuff even true? Is, can, can we really believe what the Bible teaches, the claims that it makes about Jesus? Wherever you are this morning, in your journey, we're glad that you're with us. We hope that you're listening today because you want to hear from the Lord. You want to hear from him. You want to open up God's word here and experience real change in your hearts. That's why we're here, to become more like Jesus. Well, we're back in Matthew's gospel. Again, we're going to be talking about uh, another encounter in the life of Jesus as he's, he's preaching, as he's teaching. Let's take a look at two different groups of people who... Uh, who met with Jesus that day. One group that really didn't like him all much, all that much. In fact, they, they really uh, they didn't like him at all. We're going to take a look at this group. And then we're going to look at a bunch of guys who were just trying to keep up with our Savior as he was traveling around preaching and teaching, healing. Um, we're going we're to uh, look at these two different groups and talk about the two different responses that each of them had to what Jesus said that day. Uh, both these groups had the opportunity to hear from the Lord and to respond. Uh, 
to what he was teaching, but in both cases, they missed the point. <clears throat> they missed the point for quite different reasons. They struggled to hear what Jesus was saying. Both of them, both those groups needed the Lord to, to warn them to stop and listen. Don't miss what he was saying. Well, we, we're going to find out the first group, they, they remained hard-hearted and they just wouldn't listen. While the second group, they were able to set aside the distractions of life that day and, and listen to the Lord. They were able to take to heart what he was teaching. I think that's where this story in Matthew 16 intersects with, with my story and with your story. Let's look at these two different people and think about how they responded to the Lord that day. If you haven't yet, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. All right. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. A sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, It'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it'll be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearances of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And in verse 4, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. In verse 5, when the disciples reached the other side, that is the other side of the lake, they, got, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Remember what we looked at last week. Pastor Ed uh, took us through that, that feeding of the 4,000. All right, They had forgotten to bring any bread. In verse 6, Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 7, they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread? Is, is that why he's talking about leaven? But Jesus, aware of this, said in verse 8, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In verse 12, then they understood that he, had, he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right, if you'll bow with me, I'm going to open up our time after reading his word. I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer. Our Father, we are grateful to be gathered here together at Rev Hall or, or online through our, our live stream. We're grateful that, that all of your people can come together bound by the Spirit of God. And that your word is powerful, can work in our hearts as we hear it. Lord, we pray you'd open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, most of all, our hearts to believe your word. And we'd be encouraged today, Lord, so that you can make us more like your son, Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we, uh, as we said, we're going to look at these two different groups, two different groups here. 
And we're going to look at the two different responses. You'll see our outline behind me on the screen. And we're going to ask really two, different, uh, two questions. I think there's two questions for us to ask ourselves. What keeps you from hearing the Lord? What keeps you from hearing the Lord and how can you be a better listener? As we look at these two groups that struggled to listen to the Lord that day. Well, let's take a look at the story. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think we've been, if we've, you've been with us as we've gone through Matthew, we've heard a bit about the Pharisees and even some of the Sadducees. Uh, we know from first century uh, historians and just from reading the New Testament that these guys agreed on very little. And they were normally opposed to each other, both theologically and politically. So we've got to ask ourselves, why were they working together? Interesting there. The Sadducees represented religious leaders who oversaw the temple in Jerusalem. They had, they had stature in the community. They had power in Jewish society. To the, uh, to the Pharisees, these guys were compromisers. The Sadducees were not faithful to the historic understanding of God's word. They, they rejected such foundational beliefs as life after death. They said there's no resurrection. This is all there is. Very, very Greek in their thinking. They, they rejected the idea of the existence of angels and other supernatural aspects of the scriptures. Instead, the Sadducees, they favored the prevailing ideas of Greek philosophy. In the, in the centuries prior, they had become Hellenized, that is, Greek-minded. Uh, what we might think of as secular, with a bit of hostility toward the old stories of the Bible. In their minds, hey, the, the, that, that old age is, is past. We have, to, we have to be real, let's be honest, this is the world we're living in. For them, it was about Rome and how to make things work. They had a reputation of piety among the people, but it tended to be a cultural faith based on their role at the temple. It was more about a cultural identity. This idea of the centrality of Jerusalem and the temple after centuries of domination by, by foreign powers, by the Persians and the Greeks and, and, and now the Romans and, and living under the rule of Herod. The Sadducees saw their role as maintaining the status quo. They had to get along with Herod. They had to get along with the Romans. That was the new reality. Keeping the peace would allow them to keep the temple alive and live a comfortable life with all the money and privilege that they had accumulated in their role. But the Pharisees were different. They were a renewal movement. And I think this is important. Uh, they, they, they had arisen... Decades before, in response to the corruption that they saw in, in societies, particularly in the ruling class who had assimilated into the, the culture and absorbed much of their philosophy, they established themselves as experts in the scripture who took their faith seriously in, in how they actually lived. And that was the main reason why people respected the Pharisees and why they were often so surprised when Jesus didn't have much time for them. They were known to follow the law and the traditions carefully. For them, their goal was to guide the God's people back to obeying the law, which seems like an, a, a noble purpose, a good thing to do. However, over the decades, they added layer upon layer upon layer of traditions and rules. What the scriptures taught, and if, and if you've been paying attention as we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel, you know that Jesus often was critical of that. They were so consumed in all these layers of tradition that they missed the, the greater point of the particular 
teachings in God's word. Jesus confronted them for their emptiness of their legalism, trying to perform and earn their way to God, their self-righteousness for how they, they thought of themselves among God's people. The Lord would, would confront them for focusing on their traditions more than their script, on the scriptures, for wanting the approval of others more than pleasing God. So here in verse 1, we see these two groups working together, and Matthew actually refers to them as one united group, and, and he does this by the use of a particular Greek article, which we can't we won't necessarily notice in our, in our uh, English translations, but the idea here is that Matthew's saying this is one group. They're together. And if you were aware of that historic resentment that these two groups had to, uh, for one another, he was making quite a statement. These guys didn't like each other, but they had formed an alliance to oppose Jesus. This wasn't a theological alliance. It was a political alliance. Had one purpose. They wanted to, to deplatform the Lord. They wanted to prove that he was illegitimate, that he was dangerous, and that people shouldn't listen to him. On that day, they would set aside their differences because Jesus was a threat to both of them. So Matthew then makes it clear there that they came to Jesus to test him. They came to set a trap. In fact, the, the verb that he uses is one that we would translate in other places as tempted. They came to tempt him, to get him to fall into a trap. They asked for a sign from heaven. A sign from heaven. They were demanding that Jesus provide immediate and convincing proof of his authority. It's really hard to miss the cynicism here. They didn't really want confirmation from God. What more could Jesus do that would satisfy? Think back to all the miracles the powerful teaching that we've been looking at as we've worked through Matthew in the last several months. Page after page, Jesus demonstrated that he was sent from heaven, that he spoke with power and authority. And even earlier that day, as we looked at last week, he had done yet another miracle where he took seven loaves of bread and fed 4,000 people. And I know if you, like me, and you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school as a kid, you just know that story, no big deal. Jesus made a bunch of bread and everyone had a good meal. But think about that. How amazing that must have been just in the fact of what happened there, that miraculous production of bread for, for people to eat. But it also, for God's people, pointed them back to something very, very important in their history. That time when the Lord God provided bread from heaven. Provided bread from heaven when Moses was leading God's people through the wilderness of Sinai on their way to the promised land. I mean, that was a big deal. He was providing bread from heaven. But they ignored that. We want a sign from you. Very cynical. So Jesus confronts them over this request. They had ignored everything else he taught, everything else he did. So the Lord gives them the sign of Jonah. And this might sound familiar as, as Jesus is pointing them back to the Old Testament prophet again. Remember the summer we were in chapter 12. The Lord had given the same answer to them back then when they demanded a sign from heaven. He said, I'm not giving you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. You guys are slow learners. It says so much 
about their heart. Well, what's this about, this idea of the sign of Jonah? I think we really got to focus on that because, again, this is a passage we can read through and just not really appreciate what the Lord's saying here. Jonah, if, if you know his story, he was a prophet that was sent by God several hundred years earlier uh, to go to Nineveh, the, the, the Assyrian kingdom. Uh, Nineveh, uh, Nineveh was a wicked place. The Assyrians had done awful things to God's people. Uh, well, Jonah hardened his heart to God. He refused to go. Remember the story? Uh, he didn't want to warn them of the coming judgment. He's, he, I'm sure he was feeling like, good, they deserve it. So Jonah, we know the story, gets into a boat and goes the opposite direction. But he couldn't avoid God's judgment. He couldn't run from the Lord. A big storm arose. Everyone thought they were going to die. And Jonah does the right thing. He says, it was me. Throw me overboard. God's angry. And they, they did. It looked like Moses was going to die, but then the, the Lord sends a fish or a whale to swallow him up and uh, preserve him inside the belly of the whale. And on the third day, that fish or whale spits out Jonah and gives him a second chance to proclaim God's mercy and grace. Powerful story just in that. So what's this have to do with Jesus? Why is Jesus giving the sign of Jonah to them. Why is he saying, hey, listen, guys, I got nothing to say except you think about Jonah. Well, we have the benefit of knowing how the Gospels end, don't we? Our Savior came with a mission. He came with a mission. Jesus pointed to Jonah to warn them of the most important sign that was coming. The sign that would forever authenticate his ministry as the one who was sent from God to be the Savior of the world. Like Jonah, Lord would give his life to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. Jesus would be swallowed up by that grave, wouldn't he? By pointing them back to Jonah, the Lord is warning the Pharisees and the Sadducees what was ahead. For those three days, I'm sure it looked to them like they had finally done it. They had finally gotten rid of him. They had won. Jesus was gone forever. But on Easter morning, the tomb would open. Jesus would have victory over sin and death. Just when they thought they had finally defeated, defeated him, the Lord would accomplish what he was sent there by God to do. That was the sign that they had better recognize. I think it's worth noting some irony in the story, in their arrogant demand for a sign. Here they are, the religious leaders, the experts in the scriptures, the, the self-appointed gatekeepers to God. They had been face to face with the greatest sign that had ever been given, but they refused to see it. They refused to listen. I think... Their demand for yet another sign to confirm Jesus' authority is really about a struggle that all of us have to trust in the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. Are you aware of that theological term? I hope so. It's really important, but you know what? It's really practical, too. It's really practical. Our Savior is sufficient. Our Savior is sufficient for who He is, the eternal Son of God who is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son in all holiness and all wisdom and goodness. He is sufficient for who he is 
and he is sufficient for what he has done. The sign of Jonah points to the fact that when the Lord Jesus gave his life for us, he secured our salvation. The empty tomb proved that forever. Through the resurrection, we can have new life in Christ. And that is very, very important. When we follow Jesus by faith, our future is secure. How so? Because we're now a part of the bigger story of God's plan. The bigger story of God's plan. They didn't need another sign. The suffering Savior would make the final statement. And the same is true for us. We don't need more signs to confirm Jesus' authority and his power over our circumstances to prove that he loves us or to prove that he's able to provide for us. Jesus confirmed that already. When we're doubting, we can come back to stories like this in the Gospels to be reminded that our risen Savior is sufficient. He has given us his word to light our way. Don't miss that. So I think there's a warning here. When we struggle to trust that our risen Savior is enough, it's not really about Jesus. It's a hard issue. We've got to learn to rest in him. By faith, to believe that the Lord is good and wise and that he loves us and that he will work out his plans for us. The sign had been given. The sign of Jonah. Well, let's take a look at the disciples, that second group of people. Disciples also struggled to trust God that day, but it was a little bit different. They were tired and hungry. We saw in verse 5, they, it looks like they had forgotten to bring bread. Um, you know, at first, this turn in the story doesn't, doesn't seem to have that much to do with that major confrontation that just took place uh, when Jesus makes this really strong theological pronouncement. Instead, we see the disciples, apparently they're talking about, where's the bread? They had forgotten to bring bread. There, there had to be a, a surplus of bread. Remember, they had baskets full there at the end of chapter 15, but someone forgot to put it in the boat. Somehow, they didn't bring the bread with them. Again, it's one of those pieces of story that I think we read through and we're like, okay, no big deal. Um, I leave home without my lunch a couple times a week. I'll just be honest. My wife gets frustrated. Sometimes it's because she even packed it for me and I forget. But there's lots of fast food places and grocery stores and even great restaurants right here in Troy, so sometimes it works out until um, I get home. But for the disciples, it was a big deal. You know, they couldn't run to Stewart's and grab a loaf of bread or pizza or do whatever we do when we forget our lunch they had forgotten their dinner and, and, and really their breakfast too. That's, that's what people did, especially back then when they traveled. They, they had bread. The reality is they would go hungry that night and into the next day. And I suspect that they were arguing about it. Maybe they were trying to figure out who to blame. I, I imagine that they were just tired and hungry, and now they're getting frustrated and angry. 
And by the way, going hungry is a big deal. Let's not minimize that. We should be concerned about food shortages among people in our community. It's, it's hard to focus and get on to your day when you're hungry. That's why I was so encouraged last year when so many of you volunteered to help with feeding programs with the Salvation Army or at the Boys and Girls Club. You know, we, we had folks serving in Troy and in, in Albany, and it was great to see you doing that all spring and summer, even into the fall. And I know some of you are still doing that on a regular basis, helping these organizations make sure that people get enough to eat, especially right now as things are going to be hard for a lot of people. By the way, our community noticed. People really appreciated that, that we, we stepped up to love our neighbors. I don't know if you've ever experienced hunger or not to really appreciate the significance of the, of, of the disciples' situation that day. I have actually experienced hunger. Not because I was poor or anything serious. God has blessed, just been good to me. Um, I went hungry um, because me and some college friends could not figure out how to read a train schedule in Denmark. You know, we had not planned well. We were in a hurry, and we thought, we'll just grab something to eat uh, on the train. We had, to, we had to catch our train to, to get to Sweden. We were uh, having a good time, but it didn't work out, and, and then things just continued to get worse that night. We, we took a bus to a youth hostel that supposedly had a vacancy at the other end of town, and, and we, we got there and found out they didn't have any rooms available. So... Uh, um, we figured we just would spend the night at the train station, and we, we thought, okay, let's go catch a bus and get back downtown, and we'll just you know, get something to eat or at least have a candy bar or something out of the machine. But um, then we discovered we didn't know how to read a bus schedule either. We missed the last bus that was going downtown. At that point, it was like 8 o'clock at night. And in, in those old cities in Europe, oftentimes, there's nothing open. And we just started walking and walking and walking and walking and, and finally we just gave up and we slept in a park in Copenhagen and uh, it was cold. Scandinavia in May is, is a little chilly at night uh, so we, we just slept there and, and uh, shivering and finally in the morning we got up and started walking again and f- we, we smelled the beautiful smell of bread and about six in the morning there was a bakery that was open and we went in and all of us got a loaf of bread and something to drink and I still remember clearly sitting on a park bench devouring a loaf of some Scandinavian bread that was full of bird seed. I'm sure it was healthy, but it, I, it, was so, it tasted good. It was good to have at the time. And uh, I mention all that because, you know, it was 20-some years ago now, but it's helped me appreciate what it means to be hungry and appreciate how easy it was for the disciples to miss what the Lord was teaching them. And I want to just, just kind of focus on that for a bit, this idea of the just them going hungry. There's some bonus teaching here in the story about struggles and trials. Uh, you know, I, I thought about this as I was preparing this week. The Lord could have reminded the disciples to get the bread in the boat, right? He could have said, hey guys, don't forget the bread. But he didn't. In his wisdom, Jesus allowed them to make that mistake. As he knew the disciples needed to go through that struggle to be tired and hungry, and even a bit miserable that night. I was reminded that God allows us to struggle at times, doesn't he? He often doesn't rescue us, at least not initially, not as quickly as we'd like. Lord allows us to struggle. He could have told them, hey guys, 
Don't forget the bread, but, but he didn't. Our wise and loving Father allows us to struggle not just in big, obvious trials and tribulations that we might need to overcome, but, but oftentimes in regular challenges like this, like what the disciples face. Just stupid things that don't make any sense. It can be hard, it can be frustrating because we don't see the point in it. Also, did you notice in the story we're not told that Jesus provided bread later that evening? I don't think he did. I mean, he, he knew they were hungry. He was watching them struggle, how frustrated they were. How they, they just totally missed that very important theological lesson, that statement that he had made when he confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It doesn't say he gave them bread. He was aware of their need, but he allowed them to go hungry. Does that surprise you? Shouldn't he have helped them? It was obvious that they were hungry. He had just made bread for 4,000 people. Certainly could do it for the 12 of them, right? But he didn't. I think this is a reminder that struggling and being uncomfortable for a while can be what we need. Through those times of frustration and discouragement, Lord has lessons for us, lessons to build our faith, develop our character. I think another lesson in this story that we really don't want to miss, the Lord let the disciples struggle, didn't rescue them, put them through that. They needed to learn it, but you know what? They didn't struggle alone that night. Jesus didn't get any bread either. He went hungry, just like them. You know, I suspect Jesus was probably more tired and more hungry than them. He had been preaching and teaching. He'd gone through that confrontation with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If anybody needed to get something to eat, it was Jesus. What a huge incarnational lesson right there. Jesus suffered with them. The Lord is present in our sufferings. Jesus wasn't just giving them some lesson that they needed to work out. He was walking through that lesson. He was living it with them. He was tired and hungry that night. That's an important detail. That's a theological truth. Jesus walks with us in our suffering. One of the important pieces of this story is that, that how the disciples responded with their lack of focus. In verse 6, because he had heard the disciples arguing about bread, Jesus used a baking metaphor to help them learn the lessons that they had just missed. He says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just, they just witnessed that major confrontation. But as we saw, they didn't catch it. They didn't catch what he was saying. They're probably talking to each other. Is it, is it because we didn't bring bread? We have no bread? They were too focused on their lack of bread and their empty stomachs. They, they just weren't listening. So we see there, Jesus says, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you have no bread? I think this is a gentle way for the Lord to confront 
their lack of faith. Not that they didn't believe in him or they were rejecting him like the religious leaders. Their faith was lacking because they allowed the current hardship, the situation they were in, to distract them from the bigger picture of God's plan. They were lacking faith. They had some learning to do. So Jesus asked them some math questions there in verses 9 through 10. We read that earlier. Uh, he's, he's, he's basically saying, don't you get it, guys? Don't you remember the 5,000 uh, <clears throat> 5, people and, and how many baskets we gathered or the, uh, the seven loaves for the 4,000 and, and uh, how many baskets you gathered there? How is it that you failed to understand that I'm not talking about bread? Beware of the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus was reviewing the numbers there, but not for a math lesson. You're so focused on bread right now, guys. I'm the one that has provided you bread. I am the bread of life. But you're not listening. He provided that bread. He's reminding them that he will provide bread. For their needs, bread was not the point. And then we see in the story that light bulbs went on there at the very end. They understood that Jesus was not talking about literal yeast from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he was warning them about the dangers of their teaching. And I think we can again miss the significance of that because both groups had this reputation of authority and piety for their adherence to traditions. People listened to these folks. When Jesus confronted them, people were shocked, scandalized. But Jesus saw who they were. They were empty and corrupt. Didn't want the truth. Didn't want to listen. The disciples needed to recognize what was really hard for people to see. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were false teachers. They followed rules made by men to impress others to protect themselves for their own gain. didn't matter how successful they were or how spiritual they sounded. Their legalism, their attentions to traditions, all the things they did to follow the law and, and look so righteous and proper in the community was only to cover their evil and adulterous hearts. Very strong words. They were rejecting the one who was sent from heaven to point people to the Lord God. In the end, the disciples received this correction from the Lord, and they were able to see past their situation. They were able to learn lessons that Jesus had for them, important lessons. So as we try to apply what we've learned from the story, I want to go back to these two different responses to Jesus that day and think about a couple questions that we need to ask ourselves. Two questions to ask today. First, what keeps you from hearing the Lord? What keeps you from hearing the Lord, from learning the lessons that God has for you, from trusting in His plans, His timing? For the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was pride. It was self-confidence. They were not going to listen to Jesus. Who was he? These guys had it together. They were educated. They were respected. They had positions of power and influence. They led good lives. 
what Jesus was asking would cost too much for them. Be careful of the attitudes of your heart that can leave you content and comfortable in your own plans, in your own priorities. Be careful of pride and self-confidence that can subtly keep you from depending on a risen Savior. What about discouragement, busyness, and the demands of daily life? Disciples struggled to hear what the Lord was teaching them that day. Not because their hearts were hard, but because they were hungry and tired. They missed the lessons that the Lord had for them because they had gotten overwhelmed by their circumstances. They couldn't see beyond the demands of life in that moment. But in the end, they were able to respond to the correction of the Lord. They were open to listen. Let that story be a reminder to us. Don't worry so much about your current situation, your circumstances, that you are not able to hear from the Lord. That you forget that he has good plans for you, that he's working those out. What is keeping you from hearing the Lord? Second, how can you be a better listener? How can you be a better listener to hear the word from God and learn the lessons he has for you? The first one I want to mention to you is we need to deal with the condition of our hearts. Deal with the condition of your heart. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they needed to repent of unbelief. You know, we talked about unbelief back in chapter 13. This is not about uh, struggling through honest intellectual questions about Scripture. Unbelief is that stubborn unwillingness to listen. It is about rejecting something because we don't want to hear it. Avoiding truth because it makes us uncomfortable, because it's unpopular, because it costs too much. Often we don't listen to the Word of God because we don't like what it says, because we don't want to address the, the specific areas of our life where God's Word is shining light. So be willing to listen. Repent of unbelief. Repent of pride and other selfish attitudes that keep you from listening. Jesus called, on these, called these guys an evilous, evil and adulterous generation. Wow. Pretty strong words. On the outside, they had all the appearance of honoring God, but they were full of pride and self-righteousness. What attitudes are keeping you from hearing the Lord? The second way we can be a better listener is to focus on the bigger picture of what the Lord is doing. Focus on the bigger picture. We've got to be careful not to let the pressing issues of life be our primary focus. Don't let the situation you're in be your only focus. By faith, see your life within God's greater plan. Disciples couldn't see beyond the fact that they were hungry and tired and they probably weren't going to eat for hours. Hopefully the next day. Give your worries to the Lord. I know that could sound like something we say in church, but let's think about it. Jesus promised in chapter 11 that we can give our worries over to him. That is not something just that we read in a greeting card, so we say to one another in passing here on a Sunday. Jesus spoke these words, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in spirit. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
That's a promise from the Lord. Give your worries to him and trust in God's provisions. The third thing I want to say to, as we think about becoming better listeners is we've got to be intentional about listening. You know, I thought about that this week, and I know what came to my mind is the dinner table at our house. Four kids, and they're usually excited at dinner time. We're hungry, we're tired. We, we, we all have things to share, especially the kids telling me about their day. And then we have our son who's special needs, and he can be loud. And, you know, we have, it, it can be crazy. Be crazy at our house. And sometimes, whether it's my wife or one of my kids, they want to talk to me. And it's like I have to just say, okay, stop, and just focus on them for a moment because there's just all these voices in the room. And I think about that. If, if I'm not intentional about listening to my daughter or my son or my wife, I, I just won't catch it. Be intentional about listening. How do we do that? First of all, we need to get into God's Word. If you're looking for a sign to demonstrate, prove God's love to you, dig into God's word. Over and over again, the pages of these stories, we're reminded that he has demonstrated that he will care for us, that he has provided for us. If you want to hear from the Lord, then slow down and listen. God speaks to us in the pages of scripture. Get into God's word. Make that a regular part of your listening we also need to set, a time, set, a, set aside time to pray. Value that quiet time. Stop and pray. Listen to the Lord. We need that. Life is busy. And in the midst of all the challenges of here, we've got to stop and look to our Lord and Savior in prayer. We also need to gather with our sisters and brothers. To encourage each other and to learn together. We need one another. I need you. I need to hear what you, the Lord is teaching you in your journey right now. We do that primarily in our tribes. I know it's very difficult for us to get together. and We tend to be doing that over on, on, on Zoom or whatever, on a screen. Well, don't give up on that. We need one another. I can't tell you of all the times I've been in a Bible study or our tribes here at Terra Nova where I, I've, I've heard from the Lord in the sense of my sister or brother who was sharing something that, that she learned or he learned in the time and the word that week. We need one another. Be intentional about listening. Serve alongside others in the church. Let's not minimize that. The lessons that we can learn as we're serving together. As we're talking, just those casual conversations, those opportunities to encourage one another, to speak Words of truth. Well, this is a, an important story as we think through the life and ministry of Jesus. As these, these religious leaders confront him again and he points them to, to the sign of Jonah, which is really that, that, the fact that he is going to suffer, the fact that he would die, placed in that tomb, but he would come out victoriously on Easter Sunday. This important story as we think through the flow of the gospel, but I hope it's been an important story for you personally, as we, as we hear the lessons the Lord has for us. Each week at the conclusion of our time, we focus on the Lord's Supper, and I, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to have some songs and celebrate the Lord's Supper. One of the reasons we do this together is to remind ourselves that there was a sign from heaven. 
the sign of our Savior suffering on the cross, when his body was broken, his blood was shed. The empty tomb was the final sign of Jesus' ministry, that he was the one that he claimed to be. As we prepare to participate this morning, let's think about that. Our risen Savior, the greatest sign that God has ever given. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that we can gather here together, or we can gather uh, through our live stream at home. We can dig into your word. We can hear from you, Lord. Help us to be better listeners by the power of the gospel and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.